0: To all who come to this happy podcast, welcome. Hi, I'm Scott Jacobs. Join me as I chat with my pals who come from all walks of Disney life, including cast members, comedians, photographers, chefs, musicians, choreographers, and Broadway friends who have worked on stage and behind the scenes. We'll talk attractions, shows, food, characters, tips and tricks for planning your trip and navigating the parks, and more. Welcome to The Mouse and Me. Welcome back, everyone. I am so glad you're here, and I know you're going to love the episode today. If you listened to last week's interview, you might remember Andy and I talking about his first Disney job, which was playing keyboards on the first national tour of The Lion King. We also talked about what it was like playing on the original Broadway cast recording of The Little Mermaid, working with Elton John and Alan Menken, and what it was like working as a pianist for Disney Cruise Line. In today's episode... Andy and I go deep with the Disney Parks chat. We play extended versions of Huey, Dewey and & Louie and Pinocchio, True or False, and we just have a great time. I hope you enjoy part two of my chat with my pal, Andy groben So what's the best personal and professional advice you've received? That I've received or that
1: I've given? Well, I suppose um, advice that I've given is usually just, you know, what re- advice that I've received uh, that has sunk in and that I need to to pass on to others. I suppose that it's you need to be easy to work with, flexible, and committed to your craft. You know, there is such thing as, as genius, I suppose, but sometimes genius can be often wrapped up in difficult personality. And... It's a much better trade-off, I think, to uh, to make yourself open to collaboration, be easy to work with, be friendly, keep the mood light, and it brings out the best in people. And um, it it just in terms of collaboration, it just uh, opens more doors. You like the old saying goes: you you know, draw more flies with with sugar, you know, sure. uh, or honey or sango? something something, honey. So yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, if you are approachable and keep an open door policy and uh, are fun to work with and keep the mood light, you bring out the best creativity in people. And uh, uh, rather than being a stern leader, like I'm talking about, you know, leadership roles where maybe you're a music director of a, of a project and there's an approach that makes you closed off and unapproachable, which some people claim gets results, but I think that the opposite is uh, is is more true, which is, uh, you know, be accessible, be approachable, and people will want to work with you in the future. So that really demonstrates your commitment to the work you're doing, I think, and um, can open a lot of doors. So, you know, it's hard to sometimes get over I talk to a lot of artists about this this imposter syndrome where you feel like I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I don't belong here. But you have to sort of work past that. So this is like a second piece of advice, I suppose, which is the minute you realize that almost everyone who actually knows what they're doing inside has their own set of self doubts, set of insecurities, feelings like they're an imposter and they don't belong there, like. Everyone is dealing with that to one extent or another. So when you realize that, it lets you let some of that go and helps convince you that, yes, I do belong here. And yes, I know what I'm doing because we're all, we all go through this. So don't be a victim to your own inner critic, is basically a good way to sum that up. Listen to your instincts and your inner critic, but don't fall prey to them.
0: Hmm. Nice. Why do you think theater is important?
1: Well, I think we've discovered that in these last couple of years where theater wasn't something that we got to do very much because of lockdowns and, you know, the taking live performance out of our lives, I think hurt us as a society. Like we forgot how to come together to have these, communal experiences these whether it be you know a concert a theater show a play even church in a way it's like when, when you don't get a chance to be around others and your your only avenue to do that is through a computer screen it takes away the the joy of experiencing something together at the same time in the same place there's like just this primal i think need for for us all to co- to connect and communicate uh with each other in common spaces and that is what was really tough about uh the COVID period and the uh, fact that there were limited ways to get together you know as people and enjoy theater together uh, people got very creative with ways to 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 sort of satiate that need and scratch that itch, but it's not the same. It is definitely not the same. It is not the same. And when when these shows first started coming back together and I was lucky to be at, I was in attendance at the first public preview when Aladdin reopened. Uh, I actually uh, wasn't in the pit, but I was invited to be in the audience. And uh, I can't tell you the energy that was coursing through that that audience, like nothing I've ever felt before. It was just this, people were in tears. Uh, And I think this happened in almost every show that reopened. People were in tears of joy, in tears of like realizing what they'd missed and what this was and how this could not be replaced uh, during the time that they couldn't do it. And that's when, that was a huge wake up call, I think to all of us who, ever have gotten jaded or bored with this or like, does any of this really matter? You know, it does. It brings an intangible to us as a society and a community that you don't realize is missing until you don't have it. You know, you don't realize what you have until you (laughs) it's taken away. You know, sure, sure. so as an old adage, but like um, it was really true with theater and it's, even with the challenges that are now currently presented, you know, with, with, um, you know, masks and, and all the restrictions, at least we're together doing, doing theater uh, again and, and seeing movies
0: and, <laughs> sure and, you know,
1: gathering. I, I together,
0: remember uh, when, when all these Broadway shows reopened, you know, uh, all of the reopening nights were out on YouTube and, and theatermania.com and playbill.com and Tracy and I watched them all. And, um, Yeah. It was moving.
1: It was really, really something. And to be, and that energy continued even beyond, uh, opening. So then like the second night of previews, I think I, I was playing and it just, that energy continued through. uh, And still to this day, I mean, there's just a new appreciation from the audiences, uh, about, uh, what they're actually getting to do. And, uh, you feel it on the road, you feel it, um, uh, in New York and, uh, I'm just glad, I'm glad we're back doing it.
0: You're not the only one. <laughs> All right. So picture this, and this is a slight twist on things. So go with me for a minute. You, Andy, are holding the genie's lamp. You rub it and the genie comes out and will grant you one wish to change one thing about the industry. What would it be?
1: Oh, to change one thing about the industry. I didn't see that coming, Scott.
0: I ask the tough questions.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. I would say that my wish would be that everyone could have access to theater, whether it be from the creation side or from the viewing side like I'd love to see or to know that theater is more accessible to to the entire population and not just I think we're, we're starting to, to, to get there a little more but but it's always been a a recreation or a, a, a hobby or a uh, you know an indulgence of the of the privileged and uh, theaters expensive theater is often enjoyed by you know the upper class or created by you know members of the upper class or members of certain communities and there has been a lot of exclusion in theater both from the creation of it and from the uh, experience of it. And I, I suppose I'd wish for I don't have the answer to this, but a, a wish for what theater can bring to you know to connect performers and, and, and audiences together. I wish for everyone to have that experience. Regardless of where they are, what their economic status is, whatever barriers they may be facing in society, um, that would be a wish because it is life enriching it enriches uh, your day to day in the same way music does, you know, and when music and theater are combined, it's even better.
0: Nice. You've been to a lot of Disney parks. You are a lucky, lucky man. I've been to, to a few. You know, uh, I, I I I I am lucky. Yeah, you're in Tokyo, right? I did get to Tokyo.
1: That's the only overseas park that I've been to. Uh, but but well, I went to both Disneyland and Disney Sea there. Um, and I was so jet lagged that whole trip. I mean, it was amazing. I remember so much, but I actually would have to go back and look at my photos to remember all the stuff because we hit it hard. And I'm like in a slight haze of jet lag because it's so far away. And I'd never been that that many time zones away. But Did um, you
0: travel just to go to those parks or you were just going to the country and you hit those parks while you were there?
1: Well, that was a big part of planning the trip. I planned the trip with, with two friends and uh, we're like, you know, one of the first things we said we're doing while while we're there for eight days was uh, definitely a day at Disneyland and a day at Disney Sea, like building. You know, let's schedule those, and then we'll build the rest of uh, our Tokyo visit around that. And uh, that was uh, that was great. Boy, they love it over there, and it's so it's so funny because Magic Kingdom. It's like if you've ever been to both Disneyland and Disney World, here you see how you get the same vibe, but in slightly different. You know, it's the same, but it's different because you see many of the same. You know, the castle looks different. Oh, and, sure, yeah, yeah. And yep, yep. Disneyland is more compressed, and uh, but yet there's a little more history to to it. So, and and you, and you in Tokyo, you're getting all that too. You get that exact same vibe, but in such a different cultural context. Uh, but yet that that underlying joy that you get that you know I've gotten since childhood by walking down Main Street. You know, you get that. At Tokyo Disneyland as well. And then Disney Sea was a completely other thing. I was not ready for how interesting and different that was. So cool.
0: What, what was the best part of each of those parks?
1: Um, at Disney Sea, they had this whole, like, almost like volcanic um, sort of centerpiece to the. There's this area that's sort of like uh, Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues, like Journey. I don't know. Uh, very steampunk, kind mm-hmm. of. Um, vibe and the attraction that's built into that was uh was was amazing they also had this great winnie the pooh attraction over there oh not at disney that was at disneyland excuse me um boy i need to look at the the park map of disney sea to remember what all was there but it was so different none of the attractions were were this it was all new stuff and new approaches and uh it was uh, so interesting and, and well done and incredibly beautifully themed, too. You know, you, they can do that with the more modern parks, and um, they certainly did with, with DisneySea. So, yeah, both of those parks were were highlight. And then I've been to many of the, you know, basically all the, the U.S. parks as well. So, uh,
0: what does a perfect park day look like for you?
1: These days, it's different than what it would be when I was a kid because I could go on spinning rides and the teacups or whatever. <laughs> like... As many times, you know, uh, I if I could ride those all day when I was a kid, I would. But uh, some of those things, uh, for what for reasons um, that have to do with my, uh, my well, let's just call it what it is. I went on teacups in 2010 at Disney World, and I thought I was going to lose it. Oh. Uh, the, fr- the, fr- the friend that I was in the cup with wanted to spin it as fast as possible. Oh, of course, and. Yeah. I don't think I've been that nauseous in years. Um, it kind of ruined the next, like, two hours of the park for me that day. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so a, a perfect day now. You know, I've really gravitated towards these incredible dark rides and the way they've brought such technology and theming and beautiful sound and visual design into some of these um, these in, in, you know, interior dark rides like, you know, Rise of the Resistance or, um, uh, you know, I can't wait to check out the new guardians coaster at Epcot. Oh, like, I know. I know uh, when you can surround all your senses with, um, with, with stuff. I, uh, with that kind of input, I, I love that stuff. And uh, these newer, these new attractions are really what I focus on now. Like I try to, if I get to a park uh, these days, I try to basically make my focus be, and now, you know, it's, totally different now with the, with the genie plus and like getting your reservations for some of sure. yep. the, the top tier attractions, just cause everybody wants to go and everybody wants to check them out. Like I'll build my day around one or two of those that, that are new that I've never done before. And then if I have time, I'll, uh, I'll hit my favorites, but uh, I've had good luck planning and um, my most recent to visit the Hollywood studios was great because I got to do rise of resistance
0: and isn't that just uh, remarkable.
1: Yeah. Oh, so, so stunning. Uh, Actually, that was two visits ago, uh, that I got on the, and it was, it had just opened and everything worked perfectly, just like it's supposed to. Like people have stories of something being part of the ride, not working the same, you know, there's just a lot to maintain and coordinate there, but it worked perfectly for us. And that same day also I fell in love with the Slinky Dog, uh, coaster at at Toy Story. Isn't that just
0: so smooth?
1: So great. Like
0: the, the, the bunny Hills at the very end. I've never been on a smoother ride.
1: Really, really, really fun. And so I was just back there again uh, not long ago and didn't do Rise this time because I knew I wanted to focus on the Runaway Railway, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway oh. Railway, which I got to do and was just a delight. You know, pretty tame in terms of, you know, the physical ride, but the the, the level of uh, visual interest and then the, tre- the use of music in that um, – in that uh, attraction is great, and I love the way they uh, they work music throughout uh, that attraction. So, uh, love that, and um, yeah, I mean, I do love Hollywood Studios as much as I love the Magic Kingdom, as a uh, having my childhood uh, visits, you know, in mind. Um, I these days tend to go for uh, for for Hollywood, and I think I'll be probably enjoying. Uh, I've always enjoyed Epcot, so. You know whether you go for the uh, the world showcase and check out all the nations or some of the new attractions that are uh, on the way, like Guardians. Um, we'll see. You know, I know there are a lot of changes are coming to Epcot, but I'm curious to see how all those pan out. Do you have
0: a favorite Disney park?
1: Uh, I would say my favorite park would be. I would say it has to be. Uh, Hollywood Studios, uh strictly because, I mean, I am the biggest nerd of all, and I absolutely am floored by what they've achieved at Galaxy's Edge. Nice. Um, yep. Just because of what it means to me and, like, the age that I am and having grown up as a Star Wars kid. Um, and then, <clears throat> you know, they've done so much other great stuff there. They've got just between the Aerosmith rock and roller coaster and – and what they've done at Toy Story Land, and um, of course Tower of Terror. I mean, and with and now with the addition of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, there's just so much there that everybody in your group is happy when you go to Hollywood Studios. Yep, for you sure. Can please, you can please everyone. So I would say that's my favorite park. I wouldn't, you know, I would say that there's more magic at the Magic Kingdom, but uh, in terms of what it means to me as a you know lifelong you know fan of Disney who started going to the parks. Uh, when he was a kid, but, um, and then in terms of park that I think has the most potential, I think as they re sort of invent Epcot for, you know, the next however many years uh, I think it has great potential to, uh, to become a favorite again. Sure. For reasons beyond just the, the world showcase.
0: So Andy, we've been talking a lot about how you got started in the music industry, your inspirations, your work, on Elton John and Alan Menken Projects, your connections to the Walt Disney Company. I think it's time to switch gears and play a few games. What do you think?
1: Uh, games? That sounds like fun. You don't have to twist my arm to play some games.
0: This game is called Huey, Dewey, and Louie. I'm going to name three things, and you have to rank them from favorite to least favorite. Here we go. The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, The Lion King.
1: Okay, I have to ask before I answer, are you talking about the like the movies, the shows, or just the idea in general, the entire the entire
0: world? It can be all of the above if you want. Okay. Totally up to you.
1: I'm going to put The Lion King first because of what it means to me uh, in, you know, the show, what the show means to me and my career and what it's done for my career. And also the fact that it's just what a m- touching and moving story that was, you know, brought to life in the nineties with the animated film. So it's just on a whole other level. Lion King. Absolutely. Okay. Secondly, uh I think that Aladdin would go second because, as a you know a when I was in high school in college I kind of fell out of being on top of what was going on with Disney and even when The Little Mermaid came out I was uh, still in in college and I wasn't I was kind of aware of it but but vaguely but by the time Aladdin came out I think I went to the movies to see it and I was like oh wow this is what the modern age of Disney movies animated movies can be and uh, and it was my first time really understanding what a songwriter like Alan May could, you know, could bring to the table and, uh, and ex- being exposed to, uh, to him as a, as, a, as a writer and that new kind of era in animation. So, <clears throat> and the fact that I've been very closely tied to a lot in New York here on Broadway, uh, I put that second and then. No diss against Little Mermaid. I'm just, by process of elimination, sure, I have to sure. that third.
0: <laughs> and I, and the tough thing about Huey, Dewey, and Louie is you, you can love all three. You know, it's not like, oh, I hate this one, so that's at the end. Like, you can love all three.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a good question, though. It's a good, uh, those are tough to to rank.
0: I, I know, I know. All right, the next one. SpongeBob SquarePants, Ghost the Musical, Groundhog Day.
1: Okay, now we're definitely talking about musicals. So- I'm going to put. Uh, I can only speak from my experiences with the show. I was not a SpongeBob like watcher. I, it's hilarious when I catch the cartoon or whatever. I remember my niece was super into it, but uh, you know, I'm not a huge or wasn't really a SpongeBob fan until I started um, substituting uh, on the Broadway production, which was a you know very inventive take on on SpongeBob. Uh, so my. Uh, What were the other choices? Uh, Ghost uh, and Groundhog Day. Okay. So so neither Groundhog Day nor Ghost were long runners on Broadway, but they were very special experiences for me because of the the team of musicians and uh, creative team that I got to work with, which was the same on both shows. Uh, I'm just going to have to say that this is going to shock people. This is going to shock people, but I'm going to put Ghost the Musical at the top of that list because it was uh, my first time with this particular group of creative uh, people, first time uh, working with this director and the musical director, and I was sitting in the pit with this enormous rig of keyboards and computers, and I was responsible for so much in the show. We had all these crazy video projections and ma- magic Effects and illusions that were all sort of tied into what I was having to operate from the computer while I played. It was such a neat job for me that I have to put that first because I had such a great time and it was too short lived. Uh, I would put put Groundhog Day next um, and I would put uh, SpongeBob at the end, even though that was a blast. It's Punch Pop.
0: That Music- show was, as for me personally, it was a surprise hit. I had never seen the cartoons. Okay. And I went and saw the show on a friend's recommendation. And I was blown away. And then Tracy and I, Tracy had seen it on her own. I saw it on my own. And then we're like, we have to take the kids. <laughs> and Tracy didn't see the cartoons either. And our kids hadn't seen the cartoons. We're like, well, if we got it and we loved it, the kids are going to love it. And we took them, and it was just amazing. And actually, that's the night that we met Rob Taylor, and you connected us with Rob.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, Rob played in the orchestra there yeah. and uh, known him for a while. We used to tour with, uh, together on The Lion King years ago. So the connections are, you know,
0: it is a small world, isn't it? It is. And and, and uh, we're actually good friends uh, to this day. He He gave me his advice and opinions on the name for the podcast, The Mouse and Me. And he's the reason why I picked that name. It's a winner. Oh, thank you. Okay. Oh, uh, incidentally, when you think of Groundhog Day, do you have PTSD? Like thinking back to like your time on the teacups because of all the spinning on the stage? Oh, <laughs> what's well, funny? Because they
1: even – so the show was successful in, in the West End of London before they brought it over here. And the, they there was a scene where um, they are – in, in in London they were just uh, the lead character and his love interest were just skating through the park, like on a winter day. Uh, um this is late in act two. We don't really know she's gonna be a love interest until, you know. Anyway, it, it kind you of You just ruined it. it for evolved a point, but yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so but in that song, which was um, which was her song uh late in act 2 uh they were just skating uh around the park and they kind of used the turntable for that but in new york they were like oh let's do even more let's use the little turntables inside the turntables to put te- like literally carnival rides on them to emulate like that they were in like a carnival or something like that so <laughs> there were three like teacup style rides spinning on on stage while the while the entire circle spun. And it's just so funny that you mentioned that, because that's exactly. <laughs> you I don't think I at every performance. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so luckily I didn't have to ride those, because that wouldn't have been for me. So bless those actors who had to spin around and sing songs.
0: All right, next for Huey, Dewey, and Louie. For composing, the key of E, B flat major, A minor. Mm.
1: Okay, the key of I'm gonna say B flat. It just feels good uh, on a piano. Uh, it's jazzy. It it it's hard to describe, but like guitarist, a guitarist would say E because it's tuned that way, and it's, you play a lot in sharp keys. Sure. E is a sharp that has a lot of sharps in it. You use E's and A's and D's and G's and whatever. Um, those keys don't feel as good on piano. The flat keys feel uh better on piano so uh i would gravitate towards uh towards b flat a minor mm, it's all white keys so i guess it makes it it feels a little simplistic to me okay to, to write an a minor I, I a about- minor is like is like the key that like sad goth singer songwriter girls use when they play their sad songs
0: and and now would it be the same for playing like would you rank it in the, in the same order for playing? Yeah,
1: I'd most likely play in that one play in B flat. Okay. A minor is no fun because there's nothing for you to grab onto. There's no black keys for you to use as an anchor. You're just like skating across all these white keys. You kind of need a little black keys in there to kind of anchor you and keep you, um, keep you grounded.
0: Okay. Th- th- oh, this would be so tough for me, so I don't need to answer the question you do. Radiator Springs Racers, Rise of the Resistance, The Incredicoaster.
1: Well, I haven't ridden the Incredicoaster. Did you do uh, it yet? When it was but California I did. California yes. Screamin'. Yes, I've ridden California Screamin', right, so which let's is change it. A great coaster experience uh, overall, and I think that the addition of the, um, but, well, I think the addition of the Incredibles to it is 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 great and needed. I've seen ride footage of people on it having a good time. You know, it's not. I've been on thrill coasters, like real serious thrill coasters at parks like Cedar Point and Oh, sure, know, and yeah, and yeah, the Busch yeah. Gardens is of the world and Six Flags is of the world. So, it doesn't doesn't really hold up to those when you compare. Uh, so, I think it needs that extra element to make it fun, like the Incredibles theming. Uh, but I can't say for sure because I haven't been on the new version. But as a coaster, it was fine. So that's going to be third. Okay. Um, but uh, Radiator Springs versus rise okay for a long time until rise uh opened radiator springs was what i would tell people was my favorite attraction i haven't been to disneyland or dca california adventure as much as i've been to the florida parks but when i go to dca uh cars land is my favorite land i think they did an amazing job with it It, it's unbelievable the pixar world and I took the most incredible photos one night being in Carsland with all the neon just had, all the neon had just come on at dusk. And like, it's kind of not quite dark in the sky, but there's still some light in the sky, but all the neon popped to life on all the, uh, you know, buildings in, in Carsland. And anyway, as an anchor of that land, you know, Radiator Springs there sits at the back and it's got that amazing facade of like Utah or, you know, the Southwest scenery which has that forced perspective and it makes you feel like you're in that part of the country and uh i love radiator springs racers because it's got this great indoor sort of dark ride element to it moving through the different rooms as you get the car ready and then it's got a, a great thrill at the end uh going fast so i just think it's a really perfectly uh executed balance of theming and thrill now have you been in
0: both on both sides, like uh, Ramone's, and um,
1: I may have. You know, it's been whew, it's been a few years. I'm not sure
0: because on one of them it's Ramones I for the paint, and the other one is Luigi where he's changing out the tires. Right.
1: Oh, I d- yes, I've done both because okay. I I remember both of those things. I've been twice to that park, and each time I rode wrote it once. So I think I did have two different experiences. Okay. Uh, but that's going to have to come in second, uh, only because like I said earlier, I'm a Star Wars kid, and the level of immersion uh, of Rise of the Resistance is unparalleled. Especially when everything is where And I just couldn't believe I was traveling through these scenes. Like, there's a spot where you come around a corner in your little ride car, and you're literally below these giant you know, ATAT AT walkers that are yes, above yes. you. And you're, you're, I'm like, what is going on? Am I actually? Yeah. I just. Around every corner, there was a surprise. Now I've seen. You know, I tried not to watch YouTube. You know, footage of it before I wrote it, and so it was all surprises. You know, now having ridden it a couple times and having watched videos of other people riding it, you know, that initial um, sense of magic and surprise is, you know, not going to be as strong. But sure. I just think it's, yeah,
0: that goes to the top. Okay. Churros, Dole Whip, Mickey Pretzel.
1: Okay. Churros first because I love sugar (laughs) more than life itself. I hear you. Churros, I just, cinnamon and sugar and chewy dough. I mean, you can't beat it. Okay. That's absolutely number one. Pretzel is going to go in the number two slot. I love a good pretzel. Okay. With chunky salt on it. Uh, I haven't. I don't know if I've had a Mickey pretzel. Now describe that to me. What?
0: It's a pretzel in the shape of Mickey Mouse.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Just <laughs> I haven't. So I haven't. I have to confess I haven't had a Mickey pretzel. But okay. the idea of a chewy pretzel with salt on it in the shape of Mickey Mouse just makes my mouth water. Okay. So definitely second. I have to put Dole Whip third. I like the idea of it, but I actually found that I wasn't into the actual thing once I had it in my mouth. I. I love ice cream. I love the flavor of pineapple. I love pineapple juice. Uh, it's refreshing, I suppose, but it didn't quite come together for me the way I was hoping. Okay, Fair. it was fine. It was fine, but I, you know, I'd rather have like lemon ice or something. If I'm mm. gonna have fruity icy thing, you know, you, I don't know. You
0: can get that in the parks. I think uh, you can. I forget who uh, Minute Maid. I, I, I forget the brand that makes it, but you you can yeah. get one of those ices.
1: I think if I'm going to have something super cold and like soft like that, I, I'd either want something icy or something like true soft serve.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Um, you can get, I, I know at least in Magic Kingdom, you can get other flavors instead of just pineapple. You can get coconut. You can get mm-hmm. vanilla. You can get raspberry. Maybe the next time you're there, you can do a swirl. Just try something besides okay. just straight up pineapple.
1: You know, I'm surprised you didn't put green milk and blue milk on the list.
0: So, oh. uh, All right. green milk, blue milk, <laughs> almond milk.
1: Uh, almond milk. They do it, almond milk
0: there too? No, uh, I milk. they only have two okay. kinds of colored milks Okay. There, so I think we oh, right. another one.
1: With you and Lou and Dewey, we got to have three. <laughs> almond milk at the end. Uh, I'm going to say blue milk first, green milk second.
0: Have you ever mixed the two?
1: No, but I did have a splash of You know,
0: adult beverage beverage
1: mixed in with the green milk, uh, which, uh, made it better. But, uh, um,
0: and the blue milk is the true original from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. At Epcot, France, Canada, Morocco. Hmm. France is great. I remember eating
1: in the restaurant there with, uh, I went on a high school class trip to, uh, to Orlando and we went to Epcot and me and a couple of my friends, you know, that was our dinner for the evening. We thought we were big time because we were eating at a sit down restaurant in France. We're high schoolers and we're like, oh, we have to pay, you know, we thought spending twenty five, thirty dollars on each each person's meal was like a big, big deal when I was that age. But
0: do you remember what you had? I don't remember. Okay,
1: we're talking late 80s here. So uh, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's funny that you put Canada in there because when I was just at Epcot, so I was down in Orlando just a few weeks ago uh, subbing on the Frozen tour while they were in Orlando, which was really fun to be doing a Disney show while uh, doing a Disney show in Orlando. Um, and on the day off, we ran two weeks there. And the day off, uh, they were kind enough to give us park passes. Nice. Uh, park hoppers. So I hadn't been to Epcot in a while, and I decided to go over there. I think I hopped from uh, Hollywood Studios to, to Epcot later in the day. And I actually... In all my Epcot visits in my life, I'd never, I'd always just bypassed Canada, but uh, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time in Canada because I've always blown right past it, and I love Canada as a country. I love you know the culture and the sort of the feeling of it, and uh, I was like, what can they, how can they capture that country in one area? But I went up there and I, I was like, oh, they've done a nice job. The shops were really. The shop was quaint and then i went down into the they had like a, a 360 yes 360 isn't that a great and, movie and i was totally i loved it it was so well done and immersive and i love anything like that's. I, I love things that are in the round like that especially if they're it was really high res really crisp picture so they had obviously you know scaled it up to or maybe it was new footage or something and but 4K, who knows? But it was really crisp and the sound was really immersive and I really enjoyed it. I can't say that I've spent a ton of time in the Morocco area. I'm not even sure if I've ever had food there. So I'm just going to put that, because of my unfamiliarity with it, I'm going to put that third. I'm going to put France second. I'm going to put Canada first, only because I was just there and I had such a nice time at Canada 360. Okay,
0: excellent. Um, if you like a good steak, Le Cellier in Canada yes. is fantastic.
1: I thought about going in there, and uh, based upon the time that I had, and I was supposed to meet somebody in another part of the park. Uh, I don't. Th- I decided I didn't have time to sit down. Okay. Uh, there was a wait, and uh, yes, and- steak would be yummy.
0: The next time you go to Morocco, check out the restaurants. There are three of them. I've eaten at all three of them. There's one right on the water called Spice Road Table, and they don't take reservations. You can just walk up. The food is fantastic. There's Tangerine Cafe, which is quick service, but if you like hummus and Mm -hmm. shawarma, it's fantastic. And then if you want a truly fully immersive meal – than restaurant Marrakesh and they have musicians and dancers and, and just the quality of the food is so darn good. I, I think you would love it. Nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I really want to go down, uh, again with some friends and do kind of an Epcot focused, just a like a day that is like world showcase nations focused and really just spend the day eating around, <laughs> eating around eating the world, world, eating and drinking around the, around the world. world. I never really did that before. And, uh, it was always, when I was younger and going to Epcot, it was much more about the attractions at the front of the park. And, you know, the the lands were an extra little bonus. But I'd like to do a day with friends now where I can really enjoy the food, enjoy the drinks. Sure, And, yeah. Uh, um, yeah.
0: All right, next one. Talking with me via video chat? Texting with me? Hanging with me in person after King Kong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you
1: might, this might, don't be offended, but I'm going to say hanging with you it, it for a few minutes after King Kong a few years ago. I'm going to actually put that third because.
0: I'm so offended. Great, no.
1: Even though it was great to see you in person, our time was so brief. It was. Our time was so brief. Yep. Um, so just because I didn't get enough time with Scott Jacobs, <laughs> that's going to go in third. Uh, <laughs> and I was probably exhausted from the show. Who knows? I uh, probably wasn't good company that day, but, uh.
0: No, uh, I, I, I wish we had more time. I mean, yeah, yeah, we, we did yeah. chat for a bit, and I know you had to catch yeah, the yeah, train yeah. home.
1: Yeah. Uh, second would be texting with you, uh, but first has to be this, because we're in real time. I could see your face. We get to talk about Disney for t- going on two hours now. <laughs> this goes at the top of that
0: trio. Awesome. All right. Fantasmic World of Color, the Main Street Electrical Parade.
1: I am going to put, I have to put uh, Main Street Electrical Parade at the top uh, because it blew my mind as a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I can just still hear that electronic kind of music that sort of like what they considered modern synthesizer music back in the
0: 70s. Uh, If you listen to my first trailer for The Mouse and Me, it's that music. Yes, because so the, the reason why – you know, Disney is so specific with everything. They make very deliberate choices. I made that choice because that was – that's the very first memory that I have of Disney was mm-hmm. seeing that parade. So I'm like, okay, that has to be the very first thing you hear for the podcast.
1: Yeah, perfect. Uh, and that's why it has to go first on, on this list too. Um, I'm going to put Fantasmic second uh, and I'm going to put uh, – I never saw color.
0: We saw some of it. It, it, it was tough for us to see just because of, of we, we got there late. So, yeah, okay.
1: I will say though, uh, hearkening back to something we talked about before my recordings of, uh, well, we didn't record this one, but one of the tunes on the concert that I did, uh, the reworked concert, uh, was an arrangement of, we opened the concert with uh wonderful world of color. Uh, and I was happy with the arrangement I did on that. So, um, uh, that's just for the
0: song alone,
1: the world of color is uh, special.
0: Cool. Festival of the Lion King, Finding Nemo the Musical, Beauty and the Beast, live on stage. Hmm. I'm going to put Nemo first because
1: they did such a great job with um, the puppetry and the lighting and. Um, a lot of talented people and friends of mine actually have have worked on that in various capacities, both on stage and uh, in stage management and such. Uh, and I think that's a real winner. You know, they're um, reopening
0: that, uh, a newer version of it this summer.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. All right. Yeah, I think I heard something about that. Uh, that's great. Uh, what was the the other two were Beauty Beast Live on stage and the, the first one was?
0: Festival of the Lion King.
1: Oh. Um,
0: Hmm.
1: Well, I have to confess to not having seen *Beauty and the Beast* live on stage. Okay. Um, I'm gonna probably put that. Okay, so I was starting with number one here, which was *Nemo*. I'm gonna put *Festival of the Lion King* second because I think Animal Kingdom is a uh, an amazing park, and especially the Africa section. And even though I worked on, you know, we call it the real Lion King, <laughs> which was the uh, theatrical, you know. Uh, Version, but what the festival of the Lion King did so well was bring the movie to life in a live way uh, that isn't the same in any way as the New York, like you know, the puppetry, Julie Taymor version. They did a great job bringing the flavor of the movie, but into a live celebration, and so I think that works really well. My least favorite thing is a sort of condensed version of a a show that doesn't bring anything new to the table, and that's kind of what. Beauty and the Beast probably seems like it would be Mm -hmm. if I'd seen it. uh, It's probably like that. And nothing wrong with that. It's very entertaining. But to condense it down into a, you know, a short, uh, shortened plot, like, you know, uh, it's just maybe not my cup of tea as much as something more unique like festival or.
0: uh, Yeah. okay, Monorail ferry Walt Disney World Railroad.
1: Mm. monorail, 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 mm-hmm. as they sang in the Simpsons episode. Uh, yeah, it's iconic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Iconic. Just, I remember that from childhood. And Did you ever sit in the very front? Day? Uh, no, never did. Okay.
0: That, that that was one of the greatest memories I have of going I'll to Disney as list. a kid. Uh, they don't let you sit in the front anymore. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, the, an accident happened, and it did not end well. Yikes. Yeah. What was the
1: second choice after uh, my memory is getting bad?
0: Uh, monorail, ferry, Walt, Walt Disney World Railroad. Oh, okay.
1: All right. Ferry, second. I love being out on the water. The ferries are fun. I just love the, the fresh air you get when you're on any kind of ferry. And, uh, um, yeah, the water is great. So, monorail, ferry, and then I'm going to put the railroad third only because... Having ridden it a lot when I was a, a kid, it just seemed like this is too slow a pace for me. I <laughs> I was never like I was never a train kid. I think I appreciate trains more now, but I wasn't a train kid. And it was just to me, it was like, why are we just going in a circle, <laughs> right? And it's a wonderful thing. Too bad it's been down for a while, but I hopefully know it'll I know be, uh, be back up. So I'm putting those in that order: uh, monorail, then ferry, then train. Okay. But I have to say, I'm going to add one new form of transportation to the list. I know it's only. Huey, Louie, and Dewey as three choices, but I think the Skyliner is super cool. It is amazingly cool
0: and so convenient.
1: I wrote it. I, I could actually see myself writing that for fun just to get. I've I, done that I, for fun. The You get such fresh air through those vents. It's just like, it just felt very, it was a nice way to kind of cool off and get, I don't know. It, there was not a line at any of them when I wrote it right, recently. Yeah. And, uh,
0: Anyway, so that gets honorable mention. Honorable mention. All right, the last one for Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Tokyo Disneyland, Disneyland Park in Anaheim, Magic Kingdom. Tokyo Disneyland, you said the second one was? Disneyland Park in Anaheim.
1: Oh, the Disneyland Anaheim. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to put... I'm actually going to put Disneyland Park Anaheim first, okay. even though I didn't ever see it until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only went to the Florida parks until maybe as recently as maybe my first time I went to Disneyland was only maybe, you know, 12 years ago and I'm 52 now. And that was, you know, I was probably 40. So um, I just think being in the O.G., It has an innate charm and I love that Southern California weather. Mm -hmm. It's never hot. It's never hot and humid the way it is at Magic Kingdom. Um, And uh, so it gets top prize just because it feels like an old fashioned amusement park in the way it's all, you know, kind of compact and everything's close together. And you it just feels more uh, cohesive. Uh, Well, Disney World comes in second. I mean, obviously, or a. Magic Kingdom, or Orlando comes in second because I, I grew up going there as a child. Tokyo Disneyland, only by default that there's three. It was just going to come third. It was utterly charming. But then again, I didn't uh, fully appreciate it because I was jet lagged. And uh, it was kind of rainy that day. So, uh, but I'm super glad it's there.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, that was fun and educational. Should we play one more? Yes. Okay. Let's play one more. This game is called As the Nose Grows, Pinocchio, True or False? I'm going to give you a statement. Oh,
1: man. I hope this isn't about Pinocchio because I do not know that story very well. It is but, not. Okay.
0: <laughs> so, um, wait, at least I don't think. No, no, no. I, I didn't put any, any Pinocchio questions okay. in here. I thought maybe it was a
1: Pinocchio-themed category, and I'm like, oh, great. Oh, no,
0: no, no. What I'll do is I'll give you a statement, and you have to tell me whether you think that statement is true or false. Are you ready? Got it. All right. So because you played for Newsies on Broadway, the first one is Newsies. In 1992, the film Newsies was considered to be a box office failure, but had developed a huge fan base and following after it was released on home video. True or false, Newsies was the fastest Disney show to turn a profit. I'm going to say true. It is true. That is correct. So it started... At Paper Mill Playhouse. Yes. And it had such overwhelming success that Disney announced that Newsies would be moving to the Niederlander Theater on Broadway for mm-hmm. a limited engagement of a, just 105 performances. Yep. The show was so popular that it was extended even longer to a total of 1,005 performances.
1: Yeah, they didn't see that coming, honestly. They, uh, that was such a success story, uh, especially coming from Newsies, which was a, you know, a, considered, like you said, a bomb. Uh, theatrically and then um so they didn't i'm not sure they had high hopes for newsies uh on stage but holy cow it exploded and they didn't have a ton of overhead because it was designed for paper mill and it was maybe the budgets were a little bit smaller and it wasn't like the most complicated set even though it looked great it was Uh, so so effective though yeah so the show wasn't didn't have running costs anywhere near the ballpark of like a Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or whatever. So it was able to turn a profit sooner and I'm thrilled for them and the show has gotten so popular in licensing now. Huge success story.
0: Awesome. All right. The next one. True or false? All of the Disney parks around the world are owned by the Walt Disney Company except for Disneyland Paris. I think that's false. It is false. I think the
1: couple of the Asian parks are sort of self- managed, self-governed, self-powered. I mean, they're their own corporations. They're just licensing the Disney sort of IP.
0: That is 100% correct. And it's the ones that, that, where you were, Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. Yeah. Yeah. The company is called Oriental Land Company Limited, and they do exactly what what you said. They just license. Yeah. All right. All right. True or false? You ain't never had a friend like me.
1: How could I say anything but
0: true? Aww. I mean, come on. Scott. Form. I pledges. mean,
1: we haven't been like, you know, always in contact for all these years. But like uh, whenever we do, we have a great time. So we do. Uh, I, I never had a friend who hosts a Disney themed podcast. That's for sure. Oh, uh,
0: yes. OK. True or False. Castaway K was the first private island in the cruise industry where the ship docks alongside so the guests do not have to tender to land. I think they
1: they do have it. They do have to tender there, don't they? I I haven't been. I don't I can't answer that. I don't know. Okay. It's I'm going to say that it's false.
0: Okay. Um it it is true. It is the only or it was the first private island in the cruise industry where where the ship docks Ah, uh, Disney wanted to make it more convenient for the guests, so they built it that way.
1: Got it. Yeah. All right. Good for them.
0: All right. <laughs> True or false? Aladdin's appearance was based originally on John Stamos.
1: What? I have never heard this, but that's hilarious, and I love it. Um, I can see that. Like, look at Full House era John Stamos, Uncle Jesse, and that kind of mullet ish. <laughs> Not that Aladdin didn't really have a mullet, but he definitely had the big swoop of black hair kind of like falling in front of the face. I'm going to say true. Do you have another answer? (laughs) (laughs) My other answer is going to be even
0: more true.
1: You're going to (laughs) say that the other answer is false.
0: So originally, the inspiration for Aladdin's style came from Michael J. Fox, but was later developed from Tom Cruise's appearance while his baggy pants were borrowed from M.C. Hammer's wardrobe. Of course. All right. Can't touch that. You can. <laughs> you cannot touch that. The next. A trackless ride system is where sensors, which are embedded in the ride vehicle's path, safely guide the vehicles instead of stationary tracks. True or false, there are three trackless rides at Walt Disney World.
1: <sighs> Whew. Okay, so Rise of the Resistance is trackless. Mickey and Minnie's is trackless. Um, what's the, is there a third one? Um, it's new. Is it? It might uh, be an epic Oh, 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 uh, Yeah, uh, it's Ratatouille. That is correct. Remy's Ratatouille. Yep. Uh Cool. I love those trackless systems. I think they're so cool. The first place I rode one was at Tokyo Disneyland. There's a Winnie the Pooh one. Um, Pooh's Honey Hut. Pooh's, yeah. And that's the first time I'd ever been on a sort of trackless system. And I couldn't believe how it moved you around in these rooms so so smoothly.
0: And there was even one effect
1: where it made the, the car bounce up and down. It was hilarious. Uh,
0: that was actually the very first Disney-created trackless ride system, was that one Love in it. Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, the next one was Mystic Manor at Hong Kong Disneyland. And then the next one after that was Remy's Ratatouille Adventure in Paris. Got it. All right. Last one. Six acres, $200 million to build, 40 miles per hour. True or false, this attraction is, it's a small world. True. Or- you said you said small world? <laughs> I did. That is definitely false. You would be surprised, but uh, no, yes, that is correct. It is false. <laughs> Can you imagine
1: being on, <laughs> sailing through that thing
0: at 40 miles an hour? Oh, my God. Wow. It's okay. like you're on a jet ski. Andy, thank you for playing Huey, Dewey and Louie. And as the nose grows, Pinocchio, true or false. That was just a lot of fun.
1: That I that was a great, great time. So thank you so much.
0: In honor of the Disney Fab Five, Mickey, Minnie, Donald, Goofy, and Pluto, I'd like to end with these Fab Five questions. Who is your favorite character from the movies?
1: Okay. Uh, ooh, uh Boy. Uh, here we go. Uh, there are so many to choose from. Um, I think I kind of have to go with, can Pixar count? Absolutely. Okay. I'm just going to have to go with I'm gonna have to go with Woody. Toy Story, Woody. Solid, solid. I don't know. I just think it's it's a brilliant performance by Tom Hanks. It's a brilliant character. It's got so much heart, and uh, that movie means a lot to me. And uh, he's the one.
0: All right. Who's your favorite character to meet in the parks?
1: (laughs) Uh, Usually, I go running when the characters come. Uh, No. (laughs) Um, Well. I, I've only really had one fun interaction with a character. I, I tend to watch, you know, kids interact with with the costume characters. But again, I'm going to go slightly off theme. But I'm going to go with in Galaxy's Edge. Uh, my interaction with a stormtrooper uh, were fun.
0: Cool. Yeah, it, they can be a lot of fun. So <laughs> stormtrooper. Yeah. Okay. So, if you can ask any character a question, who would you ask and what would you ask? Oh
1: my gosh. Uh, I would ask any of the princesses, is that your real hair? Okay. (laughs) And I know the answer is probably going to be no, but (laughs) who knows? They might let them use their real hair. So that's the best answer I could give to that question. Okay.
0: If you could spend a day with Walt Disney, what would you do?
1: Oh gosh. Uh, well, wouldn't it be fascinating to, uh, to just see what makes him tick and what kind of creativity was in his brain. But you know what I would love to do is having a connection to the, the the Sherman brothers music and the, the music that they wrote for so many of his projects and, you know, his close association with them. I would want to talk to him about, I would ask him, show me all the songs that the Shermans, you know, wrote, for your projects and your attractions and your movies that you didn't use. I'd want to, s- <laughs> I'd ask him to tell secrets about uh, the uh, songs that didn't make the cut into Mary Poppins, for instance. Oh, or, sure. Uh, Bedknobs Broomsticks or uh, uh, any of these things.
0: All right. Yeah.
1: I don't, yeah, I would definitely ask him something music related and that's, that would be my approach is through the, the Sherman stuff.
0: Okay. And the last question If you could have one special quality of any Disney character, what would it be?
1: Mm, These are huge questions, Scott. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I needed like a week to prepare (laughs) uh, to come off uh, of just, you know, off the top of my head. If I could
0: have one. Say the question again. Sure. If you could have one special quality of any Disney character, what would it be?
1: One special quality. Okay, I'm just gonna keep this simple. I'm gonna say, I wish I could fly. So I'm gonna say, I wish I had Dumbo's ears.
0: Okay, uh, and I think you would look really cool with those massive ears. Yeah, it would bring out your features nicely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm kind of going gray, and I think <laughs> the gray ears would uh, would uh, would work. Uh, but no, I ever since I was a kid, I was you know. I would daydream of of flying. I have dreams to this day of like being airborne. Um, I've always thought it would be just amazing to be able to just, just fly.
0: So I have this scar on my chin. I don't, you probably, I don't know if you can see it, but I have the scar on my chin. I
1: think you told this story on one of your other episodes, didn't you? I Uh, did.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought I could fly. And like like I said to Sam, didn't really work out the way I was hoping.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And you have the
0: scar to prove it. I certainly do. So Andy, I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with me today talking about your career, your love of Disney, and I've always been in awe of your talents, and I'm so glad that we're still in touch. Just thank you so much for your time.
1: Absolutely. Uh, it was my pleasure, and uh, I think it's great what you're doing, and best of luck with uh, with this podcast, and it's it's so cool. I congratulate you on that. And thanks for having me on, I had a
0: blast. Thank you, and um, after this you'll, uh, you'll send me some details and I'll include it in my uh, show description so people can uh, follow you.
1: Yeah, fantastic, thank you.
0: Thanks Andy, I'll see you soon, okay? Bye-bye. Wasn't that great? Andy was such a fun guest and talking with him about all things Disney was a blast. He's such a great guy, and man, was that fun. You all know the drill. Subscribe, leave a review, and tell all of your friends about The Mouse and Me, but only if you liked what you've heard. Otherwise, be sure to tell all of your enemies. Follow me on the socials by searching The Mouse and Me. You can also email me at themouseandmepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you real soon.